Looks like the Western and Southern Open has come to an end, and it's time everybody took a nice, long, well-deserved break because this past week has been pretty crazy. But Josefina, didn't you know that the U.S. Open starts tomorrow? You know, one of the four major Grand Slams in professional tennis. What? They're still doing that? But the Western and Southern Open ended yesterday. Well, you better get ready for more action because yes, the rumors are true. The U.S. Open's about to begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast dedicated to all things tennis. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics, united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Hold On To Your Racket. Today is August 30th, and this is our US Open preview episode. We are also going to be updating you on some of the latest player news, including the recent formation of the Professional Tennis Players Association, also known as the PTPA, a players union founded by ATP players Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil. That's right, Grand Slam tennis is back even in the era of COVID-19. However, that doesn't mean that coronavirus won't stay out of the U.S. Open headlines. On Sunday, we heard of news that Benoit Paire, the number 22-ranked Frenchman and the number 17th seed at the U.S. Open, tested positive for the coronavirus. I think he'll be missed at this U.S. Open, and he's been forced to withdraw because, as you know and as the New York City crowd knows, he has a very entertaining style of tennis, but... His positive test result was the second positive test result out of the 7,000 done in the facility. And obviously, we've covered the story of um, Guido Pea and Hugo Delian's physiotherapist testing positive. So this is only the second positive test out of the 7,000. And if you look back, recall that Benoit Pair actually retired from his first round match at the Western and Southern Open against Borna Chorch, and he couldn't even win a game. He retired after 6-0, 1-0. And so, as I said, he's been forced to pull out of the U.S. Open. And the word is that some other players have also been told to kind of temporarily quarantine for an indefinite amount of time in their hotel room, including Richard Gasquet, who is scheduled to play on Tuesday and is also from France. But, you know, we don't know. Maybe other people will be forced to withdraw depending on the results the tournament gets from contact tracing. But let's hope that you know, there'll be fewer communications concerned compared to the Delian Paya issue that some of the ATP players had. And most importantly, let's hope that, you know, um, the virus does not spread to more players besides Benoit Pair. Right. The U.S. Open is doing all they can this year to provide an as normal as possible experience for the players. Like many other sports have done when returning to tour without fans and crowds, the U.S. Open will be selecting crowd noises from prior years in partnership with IBM in order to create the illusion for the players that there are fans in the stands. The funny, or I guess ironic thing I found about this is that there's just one person pressing buttons to choose the crowd noise that makes which makes that one person responsible for the opinions and emotions of thousands of people. So, unfortunately, of course, this year there will be no fans at the venue of the U.S. Open. However, that doesn't mean fans around the world can't still send their support to their favorite players. This year, the U.S. Open is introducing the U.S. Open Fan Cam powered by American Express. 
This program allows fans around the world to send in a video of themselves cheering for their favorite player, or any player for that matter, and the video will be shown on court along with any other submissions. Fan experiences aren't the only tradition the U.S. Open is trying to uphold. Under normal circumstances, on larger courts like Grandstand, Louis Armstrong, and Arthur Ashe Stadium, players are allowed player boxes for their friends, relatives, coaches, and people like that. This year, players are only allowed to bring three people with them. In order to get the players the support from their closest fans, the U.S. Open has installed nine screens almost directly next to the court in the stands, where players can see as many as 15 of their chosen viewers. This gives the chance for the people close to the player to support them and a nice reminder to the player that there are still people out there supporting them. The idea is really nice since it allows players some support and praise and for fans because they can still cheer on their favorite players. I'm just hoping this year's U.S. Open doesn't end up sounding like a sitcom. <laughs> and that's actually a good point, though, because I think it'll be cool to get fans' reactions in there with their kind of whatever technology they're using, but um, only time will tell how it actually ends up sounding like. Other In other news, we talked about this in our last episode, but the PTPA has officially formed. Vasek Pospisil, Novak Djokovic, and numerous other players who were part of that first meeting on Saturday evening tweeted or posted the photo that they took on grandstand to mark the moment. And Pospisil clarified that the purpose of this Players Union or Players Association is not to sow disunity. He said, quote, The union did not emerge to be combative, to disrupt, or to cause any issues within or outside the tennis tour. Simply to unify the players, have our voices heard, and have an impact on decisions being made that affect our lives and livelihoods. So one of the main purposes of this union or association is to make players' voices heard, which they did not feel was the case within the ATP or the ATP Players' Council. And Djokovic said that he understands why some players, including his rivals and possibly those in the gunning for the greatest of all time, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, were also not on board. And he realizes that some players might not think it's the right time to bring on this big change in the ATP's Players' Council. And... In terms of why these players want to form the union, there was a recent New York Times article written by Ben Rothenberg that said a couple of the reasons that they want to do this is because of, quote, revenue sharing, disciplinary actions, player pensions, travel, insurance, and amenities at tournaments. And apparently only about 15% of the Grand Slam's revenue goes to the players in prize money, and these players believe that they deserve more. And to clarify, they don't want to replace the ATP. This would kind of be like an additional body separate from it, to allow players' concerns to be heard. However, Josefina talked about this last episode. I remember we were discussing some of the concerns that players have against the this association, including that it's a wrong it's the wrong time, given that we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, that players should give more time to the current ATP CEO Andrea Gaudenzi um, to kind of ease into the job and sort things out. He was uh, handpicked by Djokovic, but he's only been the CEO since January. Some players believe that this is going to sow disunity and complicate things and they should try to solve the issues within the ATP Players Council. And one of the issues that Andy Murray has brought up is that the union does not include women and that he'd be much more open to engaging in possible conversations about joining the association if women were involved. Lastly, I mean, regarding this question of whether or not WTA players are going to be involved in the PTPA, Pospisil said last year that he'd be excited to work with the WTA players to form this group and fight for certain things, including equal pay for equal work for the WTA athletes. But so far, it seems that 
The PTPA is pretty much only men. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about the actual tournament and the tennis that's going on. Diving into our draw analysis section, we're going to go over the ATP singles draw. So Djokovic is looking like the strongest player going into the U.S. Open. He's number one in the world, first seed in the draw, and has a perfect undefeated score record in 2020. And he is also just coming back from his Western and Southern Open victory that we covered in the last episode. Novak will have to get past big names like John Isner, David Goffin, Stefanos Tsitsipas in order to reach a potential final against Dominic Thiem. Another player in the main draw to look out for is defending runner-up and third seed Daniil Medvedev. Last year, Medvedev only lost in the final to Rafael Nadal, who is not playing this year, so he might be able to make it all the way. He would have to get past Matteo Berrettini and Dominic Thiem in order to reach a final versus Novak Djokovic. All the wild cards are rising American stars like 2018 Australian boys singles champion Sebastian Korda, who will have to face 12th seed Canadian Denis Shapovalov in the first round. Also, be on the lookout for returning legend Annie Murray, who had a decent run at the Western and Southern Open, especially considering that was his first big tournament coming back from his two hip resurfacing surgeries, so he might have just been getting started. This year, we are missing... Yes? Oh, I was going to say that Josephina and I, in the past couple of weeks, have become the biggest Andy Murray fans ever because we've been so impressed by his comeback and kind of how intense he was on the court even after coming back from injury. So, yes, agreed with Josephina. Please be on the lookout for him. Yeah, even though we're trying as much as we can to keep our personal bias out of this, we are (laughs) huge Andy Murray fans. So this year, we are missing a decent number of big names, including Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, paving the way for players like 2019 NITO ATP Finals champion Stefanos Tsitsipas and this year's Australian Open finalist Dominic Thiem to win their first Grand Slam. So be on the lookout for their progress. All right, so going into the WTA draw, obviously we have six of the top 10 WTA out. And the top seeds, Carolina Pliskova and Sofia Kennan, both lost in their first matches at Cincinnati. So could they bounce back, or will we see a repeat of the Western and Southern Open? Who knows, but all that's in store is that this is a pretty open draw for the WTA. Looking at the top half, Carolina Pliskova already has a couple possibly challenging first uh, first few rounds for her. She could face Caroline Garcia or Jennifer Brady in the early rounds, and she hasn't been performing as well as her seed indicates. However, if we go into Naomi Osaka's quarter, for me, Naomi Osaka is the player who seems to be looking the strongest. There is a potential golf-Osaka rematch in the fourth round, but overall, Osaka has a pretty good quarter and a pretty good half, especially since Karolina Pliskova isn't playing that right, that great, so maybe Naomi Osaka could be our 2020 US Open champion. Looking at Coco Gauff, the teen sensation, she also faces a tough first round with the former U.S. Open semifinalist. But unlike last year, maybe some of the pressure is off at this year's U.S. Open, so who knows how she's going to perform. When we want to talk about um, dark horses in this half of the draw, I would say keep a lo- keep an eye out for Jennifer Brady. Uh, we could see a Bellis Brady second round that could make some waves. Annette Contivate, who's been playing very well and reached the quarters at the Western and Southern. And even those more experienced players like Angelique Kerber and Petra, Petra Kvitova, who maybe, like, don't count them out because their experience may prove them to be um, top contenders. 
Moving to the bottom half of the draw, obviously let's look at Serena's quarter first. So will this finally be number 24 for Serena? Who knows? Because she wasn't looking in top form at the Western and Southern, but maybe she'll pull out all the stops at the Grand Slam. No one really knows, but overall this is a more open quarter, especially given that the top two seeds, Keys and Serena, aren't in their top form going into this Grand Slam. Maria Sakkari could make some waves, maybe some more experienced players like Garbinia Muguruza who reached the Australian Open final could do something, but again, this quarter is pretty open. Lastly, looking at Kennan's quarter, Sophia Kennan also hasn't been doing too great even after her Australian Open win, and this has probably the most competitive quarter in the entire draw. It includes all of the Cincinnati Open stars like Joanna Conta, Ons Jabor, Elise Mertens, and of course the Western and Southern Open champion Victoria Azarenka, as well as Kim Kleisters and Venus Williams. And Josephina, I know you are also super excited to see Kim Kleisters coming back. I am, especially after we weren't able to see her at the Western and Southern Open. I'm really excited to see her come back in the U.S. Open. Exactly. So Azarenka is someone who could pull through with the deep run. She is a former U.S. Open finalist and world number one, and her Cincinnati momentum will definitely help. As far as the dark horses in this quarter, we're going to keep an eye out for Joanna Conta, Anstrebor, and Elise Mertens, as I said, all the Cincinnati stars. Layla Fernandez is a young Canadian player who um, you should definitely keep keep looking out for because she's been making some good moves into the Pro Tour. And obviously Kim Kleisters, who knows what she can bring. I mean, she played amazingly in World Team Tennis and took out Sophia Kennan and Sloane Stephens. But this, especially this bottom quarter, is super exciting. But overall, the WTA trophy is up for grabs, and it'll be exciting to see which player steps up to the plate. Now we'll move on to the section we like to call our tiebreakers, where we each choose two matches that we think will be interesting and good ones to look out for. I'll start with my top two ATP picks. My first match is Roberto Bautista Agut versus Tennis Sandgren. These two players have already had an incredible run at the Western and Southern Open, both only losing to eventual champion Novak Djokovic. So seeing them out up against each other will bring interesting results. Eighth seed Bautista Agut took out third seed Daniel Medvedev in the Western and Southern Open, and unseeded Tennis Sandgren made it to the third round in last year's U.S. Open, so I'm excited to see that result. My second pick is David Goffin versus Riley Opelka. Again, these two players have been playing great at the Western and Southern Open. Seventh seed David Goffin is the first Belgian male to reach the ATP Top 10, and Raleo Pelka seemed unstoppable at the Western and Southern Open, especially after beating sixth seed Matteo Berrettini, until he retired in his match against Tsitsipas due to knee injury. So hopefully he's recovered from that so we can see a high potential match play out. Yeah, let's hope Riley Opelka recovers from his injury. But going on to the WTA tiebreakers, the two matches that I've picked out are Coco Golf versus Anastasia Sevastova and Danielle Collins versus Annette Contivate. So Golf versus Sevastova are going to play on Monday, and Golf, as you guys all know, really made some noise at the U.S. Open last year. So it's going to be interesting to see what she brings to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center this year. Sevastova always really has some uh, a great run at the U.S. Open. She made it to the semifinals a couple years ago. So maybe this match is going to be a competitive one, and I'm excited to see how that plays out. Danielle Collins versus Annette Contivate is also going to be a match on Monday, and Collins is the 2019 Australian Open semifinalist, and she's currently number 53 in the world. 
Um, Annette Contivate is the 2020 Australian Open quarterfinalist. She has been playing amazing tennis since the tour has resumed from quarantine. And she's currently ranked um, 20th in the world and seeded number 14. So I predict that that's going to be a close one. But both these matches and both the ATP matches are definitely ones you should be watching on your TV whenever you get a chance. Right. So like you said, Coco Goff is not only someone to look out for in the singles draw, but also the doubles draw. Coco Gauff has been making waves this past year as the youngest player ranked in the top 100 by the WTA, and she is partnered with another American teen, Katie McNally, in this year's U.S. Open. This team is especially familiar since they made it to the third round in doubles event in the doubles event last year in last year's U.S. Open, and are expecting to make it even farther this year. The team even has a pet name and are together known as Team McCoco. They will be playing an all-American teen match in the first round against 18-year-olds Whitney Osigwe and Haley Baptiste. So always be on the lookout for on the, for this match because it's going to be an interesting one. So for our ATP doubles team that we think you guys should pay attention to is Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. The American and Australian, uh, uh, sorry, the American and British duo are this year's Australian Open champions, and this was both at their first men's doubles Grand Slam. They both made it to the semifinals of the Western and Southern Open while coming through some competitive matches, and Ram has a total of 19 doubles titles, including a mixed doubles Grand Slam, and obviously this year's Australian Open, and Salisbury has five titles. Um, and his first and only Grand Slam so far was his win with his current partner again in Melbourne. So those are some two doubles teams you should look out for. And Josefina, I'm sure our good friend who's a big Katie McNally fan will be excited to see how that plays out in the WTA doubles draw. It's time for one of our favorite segments, the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz. For those of you who don't know, the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz is a trivia segment Shravi and I do here on Hold On To Your Racket. At the end of each tournament, we combine our overall scores from all the quizzes we did throughout to find a winner between us two. The winner is named the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz Wiz. So how about, Shravia, you take us out with the first question. Yeah, let's hope we don't tie in our U.S. Open Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz and like our Western and Southern Open one. If you guys haven't watched the, listened to those episodes, make sure you do so because they're pretty funny. But I'll get started with my first trivia question. Which of the following courts at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center was built on top of the foundations of the 1939 and 1964 World's Fairs and is known as the Pit? Your choices are A, the original Louis Armstrong Stadium, B, Court 17, C, the original Grandstand, or D, the Practice Courts? I'm going to go with the original Louis, Louis Armstrong. The answer was Court 17, and <laughs> so the reason why it's known as the Pit is because if anyone's actually been there, I know Josefina and I have been there many, many times. The, <laughs> many, many times. <laughs> um, the court is actually below the ground level. So that's why they call it the pit, because it's it's much lower than the actual ground level of the of the ground. So that's why they called it the pit. Okay. So moving on to my question. What year did the court colors officially change to the now signature inner blue, outer green in order to better see the ball on camera? Is it A, 1999, B, 2004, C, 2005, 
or D, 2008? Um, I'm gonna go with B. 2005. Eh. Oh, nope, no. That's not right. It's 2005. Oh. So, that's luckily, we're still, we're still both tied. Wait, that's kind of late. I thought, I would have thought it would have been a little earlier. Even 2004, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty. Yeah, that's me pretty too. Late. When I saw it, I was like, that's pretty recent. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go into my second question. Which of the following is true about the U.S. Open ball person uniform this year? A. They are made from recycled plastic from 12,000 tennis ball cans. B. They are inspired by the 1990s U.S. Open ball person uniforms. C. They are inspired by tennis sweaters. Or D. They showcase a pattern inspired by the New York City skyline. Uh, what, was, what was A again? They're made from recycled plastic from 12,000 tennis ball cans. I'm gonna go with the skyline. <laughs> the answer was the tennis ball cans one. Oh, God. So, Ralph, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, thinking when you said that, um, kind of along the lines of they are on a tighter budget this year, so that may be very possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the Ralph Lauren uh, Polo has partnered with Wilson to use 12,000 of their recycled tennis ball cans um, as part of their uniforms. And they kind of did, they did something last year where each ball person uniform for the 2019 US Open was made of seven recycled plastic bottles. So I think this is part of their commitment to being more environmentally friendly but yeah you'll your the ball people you'll see on tv will be wearing stuff made of tennis ball cans very nice okay moving on to my question and i am 0 for 2 so hopefully you don't get this right sorry <laughs> <laughs> 2003 U.S. Open champion Andy Roddick did more than just play tennis. He also made appearances and starred in several movies during and after his successful tennis career. On which classic 2000s TV show did he make a cameo as himself? Oh my god. Is it A. Lizzie McGuire, B. The Office, C. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or D. Dawson's Creek? Uh, this is like kind of a total guess. I'm gonna go with D. Nope. <laughs> We're tied. <laughs> what it was the right answer? It was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. In the episode, Sabrina summons him with a spell for him to give her tennis lessons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, neither of the two of us could get any of our questions right. Let's hope any of you got at least one of the questions correct. But again, we are tied. Um, Once again, nothing new. <laughs> we do have 14 more days of the tournament, though, so maybe we can turn that around. Okay, guys, today it's time for, well, now it's time for our Aces segment. So we typically do a segment every couple of episodes where we have an ace and a double fault, some good news and some bad news from the tennis world. For our ace today, we actually also have something related to the U.S. Open ball person uniforms. So in the wake of the pandemic and how it affected New York, the uh, Ralph Lauren has included the names of 150 New York frontline workers from Mount Sinai on the backs of the U.S. Open uniforms. And um, the tournament also has a banner with the words New York Tough draped over the seats of Armstrong Stadium, kind of 
like our the, we wanted to honor that in our episode title as well. So those are some great things to see being displayed at today's uh, at this year's U.S. Open, um, and you know, great to see that New York is coming out of the position it was in a few months ago. That is a great ace, and in contrast, we usually have double faults after that. But today we're feeling generous, so <laughs> we're not going to do that. However, it is somebody pretty special in the tennis world's birthday today. So, 2003 U.S. Open champion and former world number one, Andy Roddick. It is his birthday today, so we're going to wish him a happy birthday from us at Hold On to Your Racket. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the U.S. Open and more as professional tennis returns. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Tom and Shravya's name is Bob. See you next time.